This is the Sports Business Radio Roadshow from Chase Center in San Francisco, presented by Boingo Wireless, with special guest, Golden State Warriors President and COO, Brandon Schneider. If you don't have a culture where everybody feels comfortable speaking up and everyone's voice is heard, the diversity doesn't do a lot of good. And so, you know, we talk about like, if I'm making all the decisions, we're in a lot of trouble. If, if our leadership team's making all the decisions, that's a little bit better. But I wouldn't even say that like everyone has the opportunity to weigh in and share ideas. I, I think that's part of your job. Now, the Sports Business Radio Roadshow presented by Boingo Wireless. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome. What a fantastic place to be. I uh, hope you had a chance to look around. Welcome to the Sports Business Radio Roadshow, recording here live uh, at the Golden State Warriors Chase Center. I'm Mike Finley, CEO of Boingo Wireless. Uh, we're a proud sponsor of today's event and the conversation between Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger and Golden State Warriors President Brandon Schneider. Uh, the Chase Center is obviously a spectacular venue, state-of-the-art, and certainly fitting for a, a championship team like the Warriors. And uh, we see the ring over there. It's just uh, it's spectacular. And there's... <laughs> There's a few of those here, which is fantastic. Congratulations. Uh, so Brandon has been driving force behind many of the uh, aspects of Golden State's operations. Uh, just like all of you, I'm looking forward to hearing more from him and about what's going on with the Warriors, this state-of-the-art facility, as well as the NBA and what's, what's happening there. And at Boingo, we're uh, driving and all about making ultimate fan experiences. We're creating a complex, converged uh, connectivity uh, venues. Uh, many are around the sports leagues, the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball. Uh, to name a few, um, we have the Padres at Petco Park, uh, the Atlanta Hawks, State Farm Arena, Soldier Field with the uh, Chicago Bears. Uh, you can find us there. Um, the venue experience is now connected, and uh, it's been interesting. It's kind of evolved into connectivity. When, uh, when COVID hit, it really took uh, on a whole new level, and we're very proud that along with the venues, uh, that the connectivity was there and in place to do things like streaming, uh, digital ticketing, now cashless concessions, and obviously uh, digital ticket and entry. So uh, it's uh, my great pleasure to be here today and welcome uh, Brian Berger, uh, the host of uh, Sports Business Radio. Brian? How's everyone doing? Very excited to be here. Uh, it's great when we get to take our show on the road and come to championship venues like this. Uh, I've been hosting Sports Business Radio since 2004. Um, today, if you feel like tweeting, we're at SB Radio on Twitter. We're at Sports Business Radio on Instagram. You can find our podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Um, you know, we talked to a lot of the leaders in the sports world. I was in Tampa Bay last week with Jeff Vinnick, the owner of the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I'm really excited to welcome. Brandon Schneider, the president and COO of the Warriors, to the stage. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. So for our, our listening audience, I'll say that right off the bat, I'm, I'm blinded by Brandon's ring, his championship ring. That is, that's quite the ring. Congratulations on yet another championship for the Warriors. Thank you. Yeah. It's, you know, one note on the ring. I, I, Fun to wear. Uh, don't wear it normally walking down the street. You might you might know why. Um, but, it, you know, you mentioned seeing a couple other in the room, and that's one nice thing with, with Joe Lake and Peter Gruber leading the way. Uh, every single one of our employees actually got one of these. That's amazing. That's I mean, how would you not want to work for an organization when that's how they take care of the employees? That's fantastic. Let's start with uh, your background. So I know you're a Bay Area native. And you came to Golden State Warrior Games as a kid. How did you first fall in love with the NBA and the Warriors? <clears throat> That's going back a long time. Ah. Um, so I, I look, I, I, as you said, grew up in the Bay Area and just been a diehard sports fan. Um, so as a kid, got was fortunate to go to a lot of San Francisco Giants baseball games, uh, Golden State Warriors basketball, was a big 49ers fan. So, um, you know, I, I have three younger brothers. My parents were always big sports fans. So um, love going. I, you know, funny story. My, my first Warriors game, I still remember, uh, is the 86-87 season. I think the date, someone look it up, February 3rd um, of 2007, if I remember correctly. Um, and we beat the the then New Jersey Nets in quadruple overtime. Oh, wow. Uh, of course, my I think I was... So that would have been uh, seven at the time. Uh, my dad would not let, uh, did not want to stay until the end. I had school. Oh. I had school the next day. I think it was a Sunday night. Um, so we won the game. I think we left in the second overtime. Oh, you probably were not happy about that. I'm guessing. I was not happy about that. So wait, were you? You uh, went to the Run TMC games too, right? 
Uh, yeah, that's right. So, so when I was a kid, and and um, you know, Mitch was actually only on the team a couple of years. But uh, when I was a kid, I got to watch yeah, Tim, Mitch, Chris, uh, Shrewness, Marshallonis at the tail end of that. That was the team. Okay, and then you went to UCLA for college, correct? I did. Yeah. Okay. What was that experience like? I we've been to UCLA with our road show. We sat down with Baron Davis, former warrior and and UCLA alum there. But uh, seems like a great school. Uh, it is a great school. Um, uh, I would note uh, most college basketball championships of any school with 11, by the way, but who's counting? Um, so you mentioned Baron Davis. Uh, Baron and I are the same age. So when, oh. when, when I was a freshman at UCLA, he and Earl Watson were the, were the freshman backcourt. Um, but no, I, I loved uh, UCLA. I was a business economics major, accounting minor. Um, you know, I, I'm a huge UCLA sports fan. Both my parents also went to UCLA. So I grew up, you know, watching like the Don McLean, uh, Trevor Murray, Gerald Matkins, Mitchell Butler days from the eighties. Um, but have been a UCLA fan my whole life. But yeah, I mean, love going to school. They're great academics and, uh, great sports, great basketball in particular. So at what point when you were growing up, were you like, you know what? I want to work in sports. Well, when I was young, uh, people would ask, what do you want to do? And I used to say that I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, and then I met David Kelly. No, I'm just kidding. That's our attorney. Um, <laughs> I did not know David back then. I, so I, and then I, what I, and then I found out you have to um, go to school for three more years. And I found out that you have to read a lot. Um, and, and, and that, and this is, you know, I'm 10, 12, 14 years old. Um, so I started changing my mind. When people used to ask me my dream job, mm-hmm. the answer I used to give was that I want to be the manager of the San Francisco Giants. Uh, interestingly enough. And again, this is when I'm 14, 15 years old. Uh, as I got older and went to college, like I assumed that I would be, you know, being a busy con major, I would, I assumed that I would get into um, investment banking or venture capital or something like that. But when I graduated in 2001, some, some listeners will remember this, but the, the stock market had just crashed. Uh, so the economy was not uh, good, worse than it is today, actually. Yeah. And so I had great interviews, Morgan Stanley, Merrill Lynch, um, companies like that. And they were like, look, we'd love to to hire you, but we're actually firing people. Um, and then I, I fell into this. I, I, at that time, um, you know, sports teams were a lot smaller than they are now. We've got 550 employees today. Uh, back then, I think we had about 75. And, and so I, I was at a Giants game. I keep talking about the Giants along with the Warriors. Um, I was at a Giants game with a guy named Jeff Krolik, who is the, who's a well-known guy in the media industry, was the GM of Fox Sports Net at the time. And so he offered to, in his words, put in a word with the Giants and the Warriors. Um, and I, go through the whole story how happened but that I mean that's that really is how I how I got started so you're in year 21 I think with the Warriors right yeah that's right so I mean you've been around for a long time you've seen a lot of changes like you said 75 employees to now you know 500 plus I know you have 4,000 part-time employees that you know work when you factor in the arena and all of the other businesses that you have. But I would imagine in 21 years that like you're learning a lot about the industry and specifically the warriors. Yeah. It's, it's been a, um, it's yeah. Learning is a good word. And, and, and look, I mean, I think you, you learn, you're hopefully learning every day. And that's, mm-hmm. that is one thing I love about this, this industry, this job. Um, and, and I kind of break my career into two parts. Um, you know, we, we had a 18 year uh, period where we made the playoffs one time, um, which is hard to do, right? You're in a league where 16 out of 30 teams make the playoffs. Right. But um, everything changed for the Warriors, I would say, on, on November 12th of 2010. Uh, that's when Joe Lacob and Peter Goober uh, bought the team. So my, my first, you know, eight plus years were, were with the old regime. And, and not to say anything negative about the old regime. I mean, Robert Rowell was, was the president who offered me the job. But initially, Chris Cohan was always really good to me. Um, and, and I enjoyed working here. But when Joe and Peter bought the team, everything changed. Um, and, and, you know, that first year they kind of came in and assessed everything. The second year was the, was actually a lockout year, 11, 12. Um, so their first full season was 12, 13. Hmm. And, and if you go, um, from then until, until now, uh, we've made the playoffs, uh, every single year, uh, except for two, which was the, the two kind of COVID years. So, um, you know, so if you think about in terms of learning, I think, you know, I, I had the chance to, 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 to grow jobs and have more res- responsibility at an early age. Um, became a manager. I think I was like 23 or 24 years old. Um, if you look on on LinkedIn, you see I have 10. Uh, I've had 10 job titles in in 20 plus years. I think in the early days they they figured if they um, uh, gave me promotion, they wouldn't have to give me more money. Just keep them happy. Give them another title. Um, but but you know having that opportunity to to be able to manage teams and things like that um, early in my career was great. And then when Joe and Peter bought the team, I think the learnings really accelerated. 
um, you know, one of the first things they did was bring in Rick Welts um, as as our president, who's been an incredible mentor for me. Uh, for those that don't know who Rick Welts is, look him up. But he's, you know, he's a, he's in the Basketball Hall of Fame, even though he never played in the NBA. So figure that out. Um, worked in the league office for 18 years, was w- top two or three people there, uh, was president of the Phoenix Suns for 10 years before coming here. So I got to work with him um, for 10 years. Um, and so, you know, I give him a lot of credit just for, for not only teaching me, but but for everyone that works for the Warriors. But I think we were really fortunate. I was really fortunate to have a mentor like him to really be able to learn from. Yeah, quick plug, uh, 2019, go back in the Sports Business Radio archives and you can listen to my conversation with Rick Welts. And, you know, like you said, just an amazing person, um, you know, did some wonderful things in Seattle as well and in Phoenix. So, um, and worked in the NBA league office for a long time, was kind of one of David Stern's original uh, confidants and employees there. What makes for good owners? Because I think success with sports really does start at the top and the commitment of owners and the people they hire. What makes for good owners in your opinion? Yeah. So first of all, I, I a hundred percent agree with that comment. I'll, I'll, we'll talk about Rick a little bit more. His, uh, one of the lines that he liked to use that I, I steal now is there's three things that you need to be a successful sports organization, ownership, ownership, and ownership. <laughs> and then he would usually follow it by saying that we hit the Powerball, uh, which, which, which I would agree in terms of what makes great ownership. I mean, I think there's probably different, you know, attributes, but as I think about Joe and Peter, um, what Joe talks about all the time is hire great people and, and let them do their job. Uh, and he really does that. Um, you know, he's very involved. He and Peter both are very involved, but you know, when, when we're making decisions, you know, he, he looks at what he, he wants to hear what everyone else thinks. And 90, Five times out of 100, 98 times out of 100, he's going to go with what with what we suggest. Now, you know, he wants to understand the thought process. He wants to see the data uh, behind the decision, right, to really understand how we arrived where we arrived. But I think we've all learned that and, and, and do the right due diligence. So I think that's a big piece of it. Another one that Joe would say that, that I really agree with is um, having the owner be in market, um, which isn't always the case. But, mm-hmm. you know, like what I tell fans sometimes when they ask me about Joe is I say, like, watch him at a game. And you'll see all you need to know. Because if you're a fan of the Golden State Warriors and you look down and you see that the biggest fan in the arena happens to own the team, that makes you pretty feel pretty good that you have an owner that's going to do whatever it takes to win. Mm-hmm. Which, at the end of the day, I think, you know, what more could you ask for in the owner of a sports team? So I look at the valuation of the Warriors since the time they bought the team to now. Uh, I read Sportico this week. I think it was $7.5 billion. Uh, only behind the Dallas Cowboys and all of U.S. sports. So you see the franchise value increase. I know a lot of it has to do with the Chase Center. And, you know, this is all privately funded, which is, again, another rarity in sports that uh, an ownership group makes that kind of a commitment, doesn't go to the taxpayers. But, uh, you know, again, really committed owners because this, what, $2.1 billion for the Chase Center, that's a lot of money to put up. Of your own money, yeah. So, uh, two point one billion is right. So, it's two point one billion dollar privately financed. This is the first privately financed arena, um, privately purchased land since nineteen ninety one. That was the Utah Jazz. Their building cost about ninety million dollars. <laughs> um, so, it was it was a, it was a different era. Um, so, you, you sometimes you see sport on occasion um, build uh, stadiums or arenas privately financed, but they get the land. We we bought the land, built the arena. Um, so, you know, we're, we're fortunate to have that commitment and, you know, it's, it's been a great partnership with the city, uh, county and, and, and the state, quite frankly, in terms of getting everything done. Uh, they're obviously appreciative of the, the privately financed piece of it. Um, but it's been great working collaboratively to, to create the right experience for our fans. A big piece of these new arenas or stadiums is the development around the arena or the stadium. You're doing a great job developing around here. You've got Thrive City. Uh, maybe you can tell our listeners a little bit about Thrive City and even what's coming up. I, I know this isn't like completely built and developed around here yet. Yeah. So um, it, it's really important because when we think about the experience, it's it's every aspect. So from the, the time you think about buying a ticket um, to, to getting on Muni or BART or, or driving to the game, uh, to, to everything with the basketball, but, but everything else besides the basketball, the food and beverage, and, and then getting home afterwards. And part of that experience is having something to do before or after the event. Um, and we learned a lot from, um, you know, from our old arena 
uh, in Oakland, um, Oracle Arena, in terms of what was good about the experience, certain things like sight lines and things like that, and certain things that fans wanted and didn't have, like things to do before and after the game. There was not, there was really nothing to do. Right. Um, so we learned a lot there. We learned a lot from uh, traveling around the country, seeing almost every arena, uh, other stadiums, other locales, just to get ideas on on things that maybe we would want to replicate or things in some cases that we wouldn't. Um, and so we've got 11 acres here. In addition to the arena, obviously, is the centerpiece. But we've got 580,000 square feet of office. Um, so Uber has built their world headquarters here in Mission Bay. Uh, two of those buildings are on our site, and then they have two buildings basically across the street. Uh, and then we have 125,000 square feet of retail. So when, when all is, is said and done, you'll have 20 or 25 Mostly restaurants. Um, there's some other retail, like our team stores in Thrive City, uh, Warrior Shop, uh, which is incredible, 10,000 square foot uh, store out there, everything you could think of Warriors-wise. Um, so we think that that's really important for a number of reasons, but but most poignantly, and, and the other thing, by the way, that I should um, talk about, not on our site, but there's a, a 5.4 acre public park that's getting built right across the street. So, which is right on the waterfront. So that's that's a city park. It's okay. not it's not on our land, but we really think from an activity standpoint, an activation standpoint, um, we think of that quite a bit as part of the experience. So, you know, we're sitting here um, right now in December. Um, by the start of next season, we expect the park to be done and and almost every one of our restaurants to be open. Then you'll really get to see the full force of what this is. But you know, we're hosting. You know, if things go well, fifty something Warriors games a year with deep playoff runs. Um, which is only you know a half or a third of our of our total events at Chase Center, and and those are publicly ticket events. We have a ton of different private events as well, uh, so companies can book different things. We have we have above the rim, which is a three hundred seat uh, venue with views of the water. That's awesome, um, but. Um, so, you know, it, it's making sure that when fans come here, they can extend that experience and get a bite to eat or get a drink or do something before or after the game in one place. Like they, they come here and, and everything's here within walking distance. You spent years preparing to build the Chase Center and the surrounding area. And who knew in 2020 what a curveball, the pandemic. How did you find your way through that? Because I'm sure that was a, a huge challenge you couldn't have fans in the arena for a while you couldn't activate this fully with all the you know the thrive city and the the surrounding uh, areas and restaurants how do you get through that not very well uh, <laughs> no I'm, i mean i'm i'm mostly kidding although it's tough i mean we had you know over 400 days where we couldn't you know we're location-based entertainment as our as our prime business and for over 400 days we couldn't do that yeah uh, so that was tough but so we i, I would say that we took a couple of tacks um, the first was we went to work right away and decided, and by the way, it helps, I, sh I should bring this up, that Joe Lacob has a master's degree in epidemiology. So, which, you know, in most cases you're like, yeah, that's great. And you kind of see that on someone's resume and you're, you think it's one of those like degrees that they'll, that they're probably not using given what Joe Lacob does now that, that changed in, uh, in March of 2020. So he was, he was really involved personally with all of us in terms of thinking about how this thing was going to progress. Like he was talking about herd immunity and vaccines and, and, and all these things long before, like you, you saw them in the public sphere. Um, so we, we right away decided we wanted to make Chase Center the safest building in the country. Um, and we knew just, um, just with the way things were going with COVID that it was, um, you know, if we were waiting for things to open up, it was going to be last, we were going to be last in terms of what area of the country. So we, we went to work right away and we, we, we put together a plan to be able to test, this is before vaccines, to be able to test every fan before every game. Hmm. Um, so we were working really collaboratively with the city and, 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 and to figure out a safe way to be open. So there was a lot of that going on. Um, you know, a lot of different things with air circulation, you know, we could, that we, the air in the bowl, we could change out uh, completely four times an hour. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, which is which is like unheard of in a venue like this. So, yeah, no kidding. I mean, if you put it this way, if you're going to to any sort of a, um, a event in COVID era, in the era of a pandemic, you want to be at Chase Center. Um, we, we used to tell people like, short of staying home by yourself, this is like the safest place in the world that you could be. Hmm. So that was one way we looked at it. The other way we looked at it is like, you know, how do we... Um, sort of reimagine our business in different ways, right? And 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 we wanted to think about things that that w could you know could help us um, grow and keep our business going during that period, but also be things that that were evergreen that that could be opportunities moving forward. So you know things like um, TV visible signage. Uh, there was a lot of things that that teams looked at, and leagues looked at um, when you didn't have fans in seats. We wanted to try and figure out ways to have things that that would work when fans were back. So we spent a lot of time thinking about that and and diversifying um, our business, our revenue streams. Um, um, which I think has paid dividends as we've now, uh, you know, gotten back uh, to full attendance over the last year plus. 
I want to stop really quick and just say uh, towards the end, we're going to allow the audience to ask a few questions. So if you have a question, prepare your best question for, for Brandon. Sometimes the audience asks harder questions than, than I do, just so you know. Well, yeah, I was looking out at this bunch. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't know that I agreed to that. <laughs> I think you're safe. Um, all right, so technology. Here we are in Silicon Valley, and you know this is the cutting edge of technology in the world. Um, you know, you just talked about how some things were reset during the pandemic, whether it's contactless. But maybe you could talk about some of the things that you guys are doing here, technology-wise, um, at the Chase Center and with the Warriors. You know, as you discussed, I know, like literally from the time someone buys their ticket until they come here. To the arena, there's there's so many great technological advances and benefits to help the customer experience when you're coming to a Warriors game or a concert or any other event here. Uh, yeah. So how how long do you have? <laughs> um, we could talk a lot. So I mean, I think when we were building Chase Center, it, it's an interesting um, thing because you're, you're look you're thinking about um, you know you want to make this a, a technology um, forward kind of building, like especially being in the Bay Area, but you're you're setting up for the next thirty years, right? So it, right. so you're you're not just thinking about what what you want today, but what you're going to want in five, ten, fifteen plus years. Um, we're fortunate here to have a, a ton of partners uh, in the technology space to help us figure that out, right? So um, Chase is big on technology, by the way. Rakuten is a technology company, but you have Google, you have Oracle, you have uh, Hewlett Packard Enterprise, Verizon, uh, Accenture has been a big part of of helping us think about all these things. Um, so we we have a ton of of technology partners to help us think about this. So HPE, for instance, has done our IT infrastructure. We just opened in 2019. We actually became the first. Um, venue in North America to, to install Wi-Fi 6E. So we would we would argue that's kind of the building blocks that and our data system, which is Verizon, um, and, and just making sure when you, we've all been to sporting events where your phone doesn't work very well, right? Uh, and you're you're trying to text a photo or post something and it really doesn't work. You're not going to have that experience at Chase Center, and, and not only is it going to work, it's going to work quickly. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's kind of the first piece of all this. Uh, the infrastructure has to be there, and so we're really proud of of the investment that that Joe and Peter have made, you know, in Chase Center. Um, you know, and then you, you start thinking about things like our app. We built uh, an app from scratch, which which most teams don't do. There's different um, templated apps that teams use, which work fine. Um, but we worked with Accenture and made a significant investment to build a custom um, app that we kind of think, you know, helps um, really take people through that game day experience. I mean, by the way, the app is great. Uh, for people that aren't coming to the arena as well, uh, game mode, you know, there's there's a lot of different aspects and and, and interactive um, pieces within the app. But that custom piece, and, and, you know, I don't know, I'm looking at people in the crowd that could probably answer this better than me, but I think we've done something like 60 app updates uh, since we launched two or three years ago, wow. where, where, where these templated apps are probably uh, updating once or twice a year. So it just, you're able to kind of keep things up to date and be responsive to what, to what you want to put in there, what fans want. Um, and then beyond that, um, you know, there's, I mean, we have the, you know, our scoreboard and our stats package. Um, you know, we, we could go on and on. W one interesting thing we did um, at the start of the season in partnership with Chase and, and through the app also in person was an augmented reality experience, which, you know, you talked about my ring when we started um, uh, enabling people to take photos as if they've got uh, one of not just the, the new ring, but any one of our four uh, recent rings on. So that was a really cool uh, kind of technology piece that I think got a lot of attention and, and fans were really excited about. You're listening to the Sports Business Radio Roadshow, presented by Boingo Wireless. More after this. 5G is here. Is your stadium ready? From an immersive fan experience to efficient game day operations, 5G is transforming sports and entertainment. If you're ready to jumpstart your 5G transformation, look no further than Boingo Wireless. Boingo is one of the largest operators of indoor wireless networks in the U.S., they provide stadiums and arenas with state-of-the-art 5G networks and support teams across the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, Major League Soccer, and NCAA. I'm constantly interacting with sports executives, and the reason they love working with Boingo is because Boingo manages 5G and Wi-Fi networks end-to-end, -end, offloading very stretched IT teams. Whether your stadium is looking to support mobile ticketing, cashless payment, or connected operations, Boingo has you covered. But don't just take it from me. Their customers include world-class venues like Soldier Field, State Farm Arena, Petco Park, and University of Louisville. Boingo in 5G. Now that's what I call a win-win. For a limited time, 
Boingo has a special offer for Sports Business Radio listeners. They're offering a free 5G assessment for your stadium or arena. To get started, simply email sbradio at boingo.com and mention this podcast. That's sbradio at boingo.com. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. Now, back to the Sports Business Radio Roadshow, presented by Boingo Wireless. I want to ask you about your social media. Um, you know, I used to work for the Portland Trailblazers, and I talked to teams every week on Sports Business Radio. I think you guys have maybe the best social media team in all of sports. I mean, I love what you guys do, even if it's just like the content of Steph and, and his warm-ups and the crazy shots he does, and obviously that video that just went viral Recently, you know, he came clean and said that he only made two of the five full court shots. But, uh, you know, a lot of teams and leagues don't make the commitment to social media. They see it as almost an afterthought. You guys have really made a commitment to it. And, you know, you're, you're leaders in sports when it comes to social media. Maybe you can talk about that commitment a little bit. Well, first of all, thank you. Um, I think our social media team would be appreciative and we're all appreciative to hear you say that. Um, you know, it, it's helped. Um, so one, we've got 60, about 63, 64 million uh, followers across all different uh, channels. So we we feel a responsibility there in terms of uh, the size of the audience that we have. Right. Um, but, you know, here's like we, we are obsessed with creating world class experiences. This is something you've heard me talk about experiences several times. We talk about it every day. And, and when we say that, I think people, their first thought is um, at Chase Center, right? Like, what are we doing for fans? And that is a big part of it. But we also know that 99% of our fans will never come to a game at Chase Center mm. um, for a lot of different reasons, uh, the biggest of which being they don't live in this country. Um, and so um, we, we think it's so important in terms of using social media as an important tool to be able to keep all those people engaged and, and give them a taste of Warriors basketball. So we want, you know, we feel like that that investment is really important in terms of growing our, our global fan base and letting them be a part of everything there is uh, Warriors-wise. Um, in terms of our strategy, I mean, you've got all these different platforms. We don't use the same content on each platform. So I think that's one of the big things is customizing, you know, like YouTube would be like longer form content. And we show like pre and post game press conferences, things like that, which wouldn't work as well on, on Instagram or Twitter, so to speak. Right. Um, you know, TikTok is quick. Like, and by the way, I'm, uh, I might, I may not be the target demographic for TikTok, <laughs> but, but let me, let me do my best. Um, but, but like quick, you know, cell phone images and videos you'll find on TikTok and then things on Instagram, which is so cluttered, so many things. So you're, you're looking for images and content that'll catch people's eyes as they're scrolling Twitter. We tend to live tweet the games and breaking news. So, you know, we, we, we could go on and on, but the point is, um, having people dedicated to each of these platforms and creating different content. And by the way, different content from what you see during games, right? So everything's customized for that specific platform uh, to engage people and, and really meet people where they are. And, th and then the other piece I would give um, is uh, we just launched a Japanese uh, Twitter handle. This is probably three or four months ago. We, I think we've got about 120,000 followers there. Um, so a growing fan base. We, we Before our trip to Japan, we were there for preseason this year um, with the Wizards. Um, we One of every six basketball fans in Japan was a Warriors fan. That wow. was that was before our trip. So I think it's probably even better than that. And then being on Weibo and, and other platforms in China as well. So customizing content um, for, for our fans around the world. Yeah, I want to talk to you about being a global brand, uh, especially in Asia Pacific. But I think what you just said is so key. And, and I say this to people in sports all the time. It's not one size fits all with social media. So many teams and even brands take the same content and they just put it across all of their different platforms. And as you said, it's different demographics, it's different lengths. So I think that's really an important point to make there. Yeah, no, 100% agree. All right, Asia Pacific. Uh, as you said, you guys were in Tokyo. You've got a big fan base there. This is a global brand. I mean, if I look at the Warriors maybe 25 years ago, I don't know that it was a global brand. Today, absolutely it is. So what are some of the efforts other than going and playing games in Tokyo and other than having the the Twitter uh, for the Japanese fans? What else are you doing to kind of like get that gateway going between San Francisco and, and Asia Pacific? 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's a number of things. Um, I mean, first, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about our players. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, we, it kind of has a lot to do with it. Yeah, I mean, if you <laughs> if you compare um, us, our global fan base, I think you compared to 25 years ago, um, you know, the winning that we've done. I mean, having, you know, six finals appearances and four championships in the last eight years, you know, having global superstars like Stephen Curry, like Clay Thompson, what, China Clay, right? Clay Thompson, <laughs> uh, Draymond Green, Andre Iguodala, Sean Livingston, we, we could go on. And now the younger guys, Jordan Poole, Andrew Wiggins coming up, Kevon Looney. Um, so having having the players and, and the success on the court uh, is a big part of that. And, and by the way, like just making the investment to have that successful team. I, I don't know if if fans realize this nor care. And by the way, as a fan, I don't care either. But um, we've had we had the largest payroll in the history of the NBA last year. Um, we spent about two hundred million dollars more than what the luxury tax line is. These are numbers that like there's other teams that that have gotten rid of players when they were really good because they couldn't afford or didn't didn't want to make that investment. And we're going to break our own record this year. So a combination of great play on the court and having ownership's commitment, always investing um, on and off the court. We talked about Chase Center and, and all the investments off already. Uh, uh, already. So that's a big piece of it. Um, you know, making the commitment to go. Um, and it was we, it was such a special trip for us to get to go and play the two preseason games uh, in, in Tokyo, in Japan, um, is big. You talked about the social media platforms. Um, and, then, and then partners. Um, mm-hmm. You know, w- when you look at Rakuten, um, who, we, you know, we wear a Rakuten badge over our hearts. We, we look at it as a badge of honor. Um, they're based in Japan. And, and so when we say partners, we, we mean that word. You know, the, the word that some teams use or I've seen used is sponsor. We don't look at it that way. Um, you know, we, we work together to, to grow our collective businesses. And so being able to, to have the authenticity when you're in Tokyo to be doing things with Rakuten, I think is really important in terms of um, engaging fans and getting in front of them. So, you know, working with partners in some of these other countries, um, I think has been a big piece of, uh, of growing our brand. I mean, you just brought up a great point and it's been a big story. The fact that your payroll is so big and the commitment of ownership to take on that luxury tax. But I would imagine playing in Chase Center and the additional revenue streams that you didn't have over at Oracle Arena make it a little bit easier. Would that be true? I think that's the goal, right? Um, we, you know, we talk about, um, we always talk about grading, uh, creating great experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the, the revenue that comes with that uh, over time is always reinvested. So that that's one thing that Joe and Peter are really proud of is our ownership group has never taken any sort of distribution over all these years going to the finals. Wow. Yeah. It, it, so it's every, every dime has always been reinvested, whether that's again, into building chase center investments off the court and also in the basketball team. And, and because at the end of the day, um, you know, we're a business like anyone else, but, but really, if you talk to Joe and Peter and you talk to all of us, um, we want to win championships, which we've had some success doing, although we're, we're far from done. Um, and we want to do great things in the community. Uh, and then we want to work on, on, on making, you know, creating memorable experiences for fans around the world and doing like, it's kind of what sports is all about, right? Like you, you watch sporting events and you see what, what all these things mean. I'll, I'll, you know, we talked about being in Japan. One of the lasting images for me, we did um, a, a court unveiling in a, a town called Setagaya. Um, about an hour outside of Tokyo, and the mayor was there, city council people, uh, and, and a few of our players were there. So we go through, and there's speeches, and there's kids that are like, okay, can we get on with it so we can play some basketball? <laughs> and they bring one kid up. We brought one kid up to to hold the, the ribbon as we were cutting the ribbon, and he's standing, and he walks up next to Stephen Curry, and he starts crying. And you're watching this, and you're like, this is this is pretty amazing. Like, yeah. it, he, you know, he has that effect on people domestically. But, you know, when you're a kid growing up in Japan, you, you probably never dream of the opportunity to meet Stephen Curry. You know, and Steph, you know, then t- takes the ribbon and signs it and gets all the other guys to sign it and has it around the kid's neck. So, you know, when you, when you think about, when you see things like that, like, it, 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 it makes you realize, like, the bigger kind of calling in what we do. So let's talk about Steph. I mean, he's a generational player, greatest shooter of all time. Um, and it seems like as good as he is on the court, he's as great off the court and just a, a great uh, ambassador of the Warriors brand and the NBA. Um, having someone like that who is so cooperative with the other things that you want to do with your partners has to make your job a little bit easier. Uh, Steph is, um, he is the best. Uh, yeah. I, I actually said this, we, we, were, we had a all-company meeting at Town Hall yesterday um, and we were talking about you know, Sports Illustrated just named him Sports Person of the Year, yeah. And had an event here in San Francisco last week that was that was pretty special. But one one of the lines our um, our head of communications Raymond Ritter likes to say, who who works with Steph a lot, is that he's actually a better human being than he is a basketball player. 
Now, when, when you sit back and think about that for a second, I mean, he's one of the best basketball players of all time. And to say he's an even better human being is, is quite a statement. I think, you know, people that know him, everyone that knows him would agree. Um, and, and, you know, there's, there's things that you see in the public, like, you know, what he's done for the, the Howard University golf team or what he's done with his foundation, Eat, Learn, Play, you know, Christmas with the Currys that, that, that just happened for the 10th year in a row. Uh, there's a million things that, that he does that people hear about, but he almost every single game, home and road, is, is meeting with kids, whether it's pregame or postgame, behind the scenes, like out back by the locker room. Nobody sees this. Mm-hmm. There's no cameras back there. That's not why he's doing it. Um, and these are kids that, you know, have ailments. Some of them are dying. Um, you know, all kinds of different situations that, that you know, people reach out and he wants to use his time uh, to do those things. That's just, you know, that's not normal. I mean, not most people wouldn't do that. Um, you, you can imagine what being like Steph Curry's like. Every time you go out to dinner with your family, you're getting bombarded for, you know, autographs and, and photos. But for him to, to want to do that and have that understanding the effect he can have on people, um, it's pretty amazing to, to watch him do those things. Well, then speaking of effect on people, I've learned that if your best player is doing that on and off the court, the other players on the team, they're going to cooperate too. They're going to fall in line because if your best player is doing that, what's your excuse? I think that's well said. I mean, when, when you think about the the culture of our team, and look, we, we talked about it. it starts with ownership and you have, you know, Bob Myers, our president of basketball and Steve Kerr and all of our coaches are incredible leaders and, and deserve a lot of credit for what we built. Um, but you're right. When your star player is as selfless as he is on and off the court, um, you know, it, it and and Clay Thompson. I mean, you could talk about a lot of our our, our top guys, Draymond Green and Andre, all these guys. Um, it does set the tone. And when young guys come to our team, uh, it changes the their outlook. It changes the way you know. You have a guy like Andrew Wiggins, who um, you know was in Minnesota and you know had certain reputations um, basketball wise, and has come here and is now two way wigs, right? I mean, he and and is having the time of his life playing basketball. Has always had the talent, but now being in the right environment to really showcase his skills. Um, and I think the same you could you could tell some of the same stories with just guys off the court and, and even young guys you're drafting uh, coming up and learning the ropes from from vets and stars like Stephen Curry. Well, and I look at Coach Kerr too, right? I mean, a championship player when he played, and I you know I loved his podcast that he did with Pete Carroll, where it was like the Flying Coaches. I think was the name of the podcast. He's pretty active on Twitter. Um, he sets a tone too, not just on the court with championships, but in the community and and just being a good human being. Yeah, Steve is um, uh, is just that is a good human being. By the way, I'll, I'll, one story and then I'll I'll go back to your question. Um, this is one of my favorite things. Uh, I hope Steve's okay with me telling this. So we're we're on stage in Boston after Game Six. Um, so we win the championship and you know the players with trophies, speeches were done. We were taking photos, and a bunch of people had um, were putting four fingers up. Uh, uh, to show four championships. And I had Joe Lake up to my right and Steve was to my left. And Steve's like, should I put up nine fingers? <laughs> We're like, yeah, yes, you probably, you probably should. Um, but no, he's, uh, in terms of uh, his leadership off the court, I mean, I think he, he's been a big advocate um, for all of our players getting registered to vote uh, is one thing that comes to mind. Um, and something that he talks quite a bit about is having your voice heard. Um, which is critical and something we talk about as an organization. The other one that comes to mind for me is, you know, because of of, of his um, family experiences, um, gun safety is really yes. uh, hits home with him. So, yeah. you know, he um, we were in um, Dallas for the Western Conference Finals when the the school shooting happened in in Uvalde, Uvalde, Texas, and and he made some really poignant um, and eloquent remarks uh, pregame that I think a lot of people saw, um, and I think you know that. Um, you know, that's important for, for people to use the platform that they have to speak intelligently about issues that, that are important to them um, as we try and make change. And, you know, we as an organization um, do our best to, to lean in and support our players and our coaches. And, you know, I mean, gun safety is something that I think everyone can agree, like those sorts of things need to stop. Right. And so having a coach who, who's a leader like that, um, you know, is, is, is one of the unique things that makes us who we are. Yeah. Couple more questions before we uh, open it up for a couple questions from the the audience. Um, what lies ahead, you know, for you and for the organization? You know, I know we talked about some of the development still to be done here, but when you're, you know, looking at your to do list, what's on that list? Well, I think you know, uh, creating the experiences that we've talked about will, will never end. 
right? So we are, we're constantly, I mean, look, Chase Center opened in 2019. We talked about COVID. So we, we just finished our first year open. So we have a lot of work to do in terms of optimizing the experience and continuing to evolve. You know, when you talk about technology, um, uh, what you're doing today will be old news in a year or two, right? Yeah. So, so that's, a, that's a constant thing that we're all focused on is creating uh, that experience. And I think, you know, continuing to build on the basketball team. Uh, we want to always be good. And, and so, you know, like, you know and, and if we talk to Joe Lakeup, if Joe was here and we talked about the, the team evolving and having the peaks and valleys, he would argue with that because he, he does think we're always going to be good. <laughs> um, so, so I think finalizing that experience. And then I think the other thing, like we talk a lot about establishing um, Chase Center and Thrive City as, as a, a, a global world-class entertainment destination. Um, I think, you know, when you watch the finals run here and you saw everyone out in Thrive City, I think the, the basketball aspect of it, people that have been here, um, you know, we're fortunate really have enjoyed the experience. So I think we, we kind of have that reputation, but I, I think, you know, as you think about the top venues in the world, like a Madison Square Garden, they've hosted so many iconic events. And so, you know, we're working hard to, to, to have the diversity of content, to get all the different shows um, here at Chase Center. We, we had uh, NCAA tournament um, in March. We just had um, uh, the League of Legends World Finals, which is the biggest esports event in the world. I saw the video of that. That was incredible. It was unbelievable. Unbel I saw the board they brought in for that. Yeah, which is funny because we've got the biggest board in the right. NBA. But, yeah. but, you know, they've got, they have their own uh, specific setup that they, that they use. And then all the concerts. You know, we had Bocelli the other night, we had Metallica, and you have, I mean, you go on and on and on. Carol G was a big one recently. Um, so, so I think, you know, uh, having that that diversity of content and, and just becoming that global um, concert entertainment destination uh, is a big deal for us. And then as you look farther out, like because we're always thinking about what's next, um, you know, Peter Gruber's famous line is, and, and it's become probably a little bit cliched within our walls, but he always likes to say, this is just the beginning of the beginning. And, 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 and you think about that, like it, it's a pretty cool way to think about things because, you know, like some people would say, okay, we did all this work. We won the championship. We opened up Chase Center. Like we did it. And it's like, no, 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 no. This is just the beginning of the beginning. We now have this incredible venue that opens up so much more opportunity so that people like to joke, Peter, when do we get to the middle of the beginning or the beginning of the middle? Um, I, the answer is I don't think we ever will. But so what we, what we talk about is, um, you know, leveraging the strength of the brand that we built. Um, to expand, to get into other different kinds of businesses. So I'll give you a couple of examples of things we're working on. We're, and we're early in this, in this quest. Um, but we built um, our own suite resale platform. So people know to go online, and hopefully with us, they go to, to TicketMasterOfWarriors.com to, to buy their, their tickets. But resale tickets has been a, a thing for a long time. But for, for suite customers that want to resell or, or in our case, that want to buy suites because we're, we're pretty sold out, um, we built a, a platform called Sweet Exchange. So you go to SweetExchange.com and our suite holders can resell suites. So we're starting to talk to other venues about using that platform. So that's one. Um, we launched an, a, a content entertainment business called Golden State Entertainment. So think of things like The Last Dance. So we're, we're working on documentaries, uh, scripted, unscripted mm -hmm. content. Um, and just thinking like we have all this incredible content. We've got a huge in-house studio team capturing content. So many different stories we can tell. Um, let's do that ourselves. Uh, so we've started doing that. And then the other thing we've started doing is we work, we've talked about technology and being in the barrier, we have a ton of uh, new startups that come to us wanting us to use their product because they see opportunities to partner and, and get the word out and kind of proof of concept. So we've started to actually make some investments in, in technology companies. Our uh, Joe Lakeup and several of our owners have a venture capital background. So for a lot of reasons, we think we're uniquely positioned uh, to make a difference there. And, and you know, there's, there's potential financial uh, returns from doing something like that, but that's not the main uh, impetus. We think that it gives us the opportunity to continue to be on the cutting edge and see technology before anybody else uh, as we continue to, to layer into the fan experience here. Last question for you. Um, you're a really good leader. And you've been with this organization for 21 years. You've been the president and COO for two years. We have a lot of people who listen to this show who are leaders of their organization. What makes for a good leader? I think, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different leadership styles that, that people have success with. I mean, one of the things I always think about is, um, you know, helping people be the very best that they can be, right? How do you, how do you set every, everybody up for success, right? So everyone can, can fulfill their, their full potential. I think that's a big one. Um, for me, I always try and be a consensus builder. Um, just like anyone else, I have my opinions. Um, and there's some people in the audience that would probably um, talk to you about the uh, ferocity of those opinions at times. But, but, but you know, understanding that, that 
you know, everybody has good ideas and wanting to hear what everyone thinks. And, and so we can make decisions together, I think is a big deal. And then the other one, I think for us, uh, culturally, you know, people over the last couple of years in particular talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion a lot. And, and by the way, I'm proud to say we've had a, a, a used to be DNI and now DEI council for several years. Um, so it's something that's been, that we've been committed to for a long time. I think, you know, when people think about that, they, they look at demographics and they think about, you know, what, what, what's your male, female, um, demographic, what is your race and ethnicity? And those things are important. We, we look at those things and actually share demographics with our organization. So they know, um, you know, what we're hitting the, the goals that we want to hit and making progress, which we are. But, but the other half of that is the inclusive inclusion piece. If you don't have a culture where everybody feels comfortable um, speaking up and, and, and everyone's voice is heard, um, it, the diversity doesn't do you a lot of good. You're at, because what you're really after is that diversity of thought. And so, you know, we talk about like, you know, if, if I'm making all the decisions, we're in a lot of trouble. If, if our leadership team's making all the decisions, that's a little bit better. But um, I wouldn't even say that like everyone has the opportunity to weigh in and share ideas. I, I think that's part of your job. Like we, we expect everyone that works for the Warriors to use the experience that they have in, in their current job, but just everything that they've had in their life to weigh in and, and bring things to the table that may help us continue to improve. So I think culturally, that's that's a big one for me is, is you know, making sure everyone understands how important their job is, how important they are to our success and understanding the importance of, of, of making their voice heard, um, you know, as we're as we're trying to make things better for the greater good. Well, you're doing an amazing job. Congratulations on all your success. At our roadshows, we allow for just a couple questions. We've got some students from University of San Francisco here. We've got a few Warriors employees in the audience. Griggs has the microphone. Raise your hand if you've uh, got a question. Don't be don't be shy. Okay, we've got one right here. Hi, longtime listener, first time caller, I guess. <laughs> um, so, Brandon, you've achieved a lot as an individual. The organization has achieved a lot. Um, altogether, but we all get better and learn the most from mistakes or overcoming challenges. Is there one, you know, mistake or challenge that you're willing to talk about that helped you become, you know, better on the other side? I feel like I'm on a job interview with that one. <laughs> Kim with the hard hitting questions. I like it. Um, you know, I, I can't think as I'm listening to you talk, I can't think of like one in particular, the, the way I like to think about it, like is is you almost do a postmortem on everything that you do and and you know some of you have probably heard some of the people here have probably heard me say this i mean i i tend to be pretty introspective so almost every conversation or meeting that i have if it doesn't go perfectly or as well as i had hoped i walk out and sort of think about what i could have done differently like i might walk out of this room today and say i brian hit me with that i should have i should have said i shouldn't <laughs> shouldn't have said that or i should have said this no but but honestly like i i i personally um, you know, tend to think about, I mean, I, you know, I talked to ticket sales folks, which was, you know, where I started my career. And, and, you know, back then we actually made phone calls. I know the, the world's changed. People use their, their phone for different things now. But, but back then, like I would get off the phone and if the person didn't buy tickets, I wouldn't think, oh, they didn't want to buy tickets. I'd think like, what should I have done right. differently? You know, what should I have said differently that would have changed? And I, you know, realistically, not everyone was going to buy tickets, but I just think it's, you know, if you if you go through life not thinking that you can affect these things, that that's kind of a bummer of a way. So I, I always think about put the onus on myself, like what could I have done differently? And I think, you know, Kim, back to your question, like culturally for me, you know, and not just me, Joe and Peter, Peter always says, like, if you're not failing, you're not trying. Right. So he wants to make sure we have a culture where we're taking risks because you can't innovate if you're afraid to fail. So we have to be OK with that. We want to make calculated, uh, calculated risks, of course. Um, but then when things don't go as well as we thought, or even when they do go well, thinking about what, you know, how could we do it differently or how could we do it better next time, I think is, is, is an important part of that kind of continuum. Great question. Great answer. Uh, one or two more questions and maybe state your name and, and, you know, so Brandon knows who you are. Sure. Thank you. Michael Goldman. I'm the professor at the USF sport management program. Uh, you spoke about values, uh, about the team and about the NBA. Um, operating internationally means that you have to think about other people's values. And we've seen in China, for example, uh, the NBA has come up against some, some, some challenges with thinking about reconciling U.S. values with Chinese values and, and understanding of the pol political economy in that place. Uh, the NBA thinking about working in Rwanda with the BAL, for example. Uh, how do you and the team think about the values of the NBA, the values of the organization as you take the business and take the brand internationally? 
Yeah, I think it's a good question. I mean, look, our uh, staying true to, to who we are and to our values and the league's values are, is always going to be critical. Um, and, and I think, you know, when, we, when we're out, whether it's, uh, it could be internationally, but it could be domestically, making sure that we're aligning with the right, um, the right companies, the right partners. Um, so you're looking at the values and, and, and what their track record is. And, and at the end of the day, it's relationships and it's people, right? So you're getting to know the people that you're doing business with and, and figuring out who it is that you want to stand arm to arm uh, and work with. Um, so that's, you know, I think that's, uh, simply put, I mean, I think that's, that's really how we think about it is, you know, when you look at a partner like Rakuten, um, you know, we, our part, our, our, um, organizations are so intertwined, um, and we know all their people. I mean, I was in their suite the other night and you're there with Amit Patel and Adrian Down Colson and Dana Marino and Kristen Gall, and, and, and we can go down the list and, um, and having that relationship top to bottom. So I think, you know, that's the, that's the authentic kind of integration that we have with our partners. So I think, you know, when you get to know the people and get to know the values of the companies that you're aligning with, um, you know, that, that's, that, that's the best way to go there. One last question. I think this gentleman had a question over here and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up. Uh, hi, RJ Peacock, uh, ticket sales, group sales. Um, <laughs> uh, but my question as a UCLA alum uh, and a legacy, um, as a Big Ten boy myself, what are your thoughts about UCLA joining the Big Ten? Ooh, that's a good one. I like that one. All right, finishing with the hard-hitting question. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of a traditionalist, um, to be honest with you, RJ. I, I so um, I told you my parents went to UCLA. I graduated uh, back in 2001, uh, so I just start, started uh, realizing it was Pac-12 as opposed to Pac-10. Um, <laughs> I, I think I, everyone's laughing at me. They're like, I, "Was there a Pac-10 at one point?" Yes, there. Were, it was the Pac-10, guys. Um, so you know, it, it's hard. I mean, I, I think college sports, and this this is another would be a, a much longer conversation. Um, uh, are changing quite a bit. Um, and so you see, you know, teams moving conferences, conference realignment. And so, you know, at the end of the day, UCLA, USC saw an opportunity with moving to the Big Ten. So I'm really curious to see um, how that all evolves. Um, you know, I've got several friends it, it, within UCLA, but also at the Pac-12. And so I've gotten, you know, gotten views on on how, how these things are going to go. Um, at the end of the day, whatever gives us the best chance to raise banner number 12, I think I'm all for. Awesome. All right, this concludes our conversation. A few thank yous. Uh, first, Mike Finley and Walt Shaw with Boingo. Thanks for powering the Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Great partner for us. Uh, I want to thank Kimberly and Lily and Allison with the Warriors and the Chase Center for all their help with making this possible today. Um, I know we've got some students from the University of San Francisco here and some employees from the Warriors. Thank you for being here today. And last but not least, uh, Brandon Schneider. Let's give him a big hand. Thank you. Thanks, Brian, for having me on. Yeah, appreciate it. All right, everyone. Thank you so much. Uh, again, you can subscribe to the Sports Business Radio podcast on iTunes and on Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at SB Radio and on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. Thanks, everyone, for having us. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Sports Business Radio Roadshow presented by Boingo Wireless from Chase Center in San Francisco. Thanks also to our team at Sports Business Radio, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Ryan Nakajima, and our friends at CG Sports who power Sports Business Radio, CG Young, Matt Amerlin, Nicole Wardle, and Calvin Wirtz. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by GriggsProductions.com. <laughs> <laughs>